Welcome to the Legal Download Podcast, a rundown of the latest issues impacting your business from Kelly Dry. You were listening to part one of a two-part podcast called Driving While Unimpaired, discussing a recent opinion by Judge Mary Walrath in the Hertz Chapter 11 case regarding the treatment of unimpaired creditors in bankruptcy. In part one, Benjamin Fader and Kristen Elliott focus on the claims of holders of unsecured bonds for payment of a make-hold premium, a common type of payment required under bond indentures in the event that the issuer chooses to make early repayment. In part two, Ben and Kristen will look at Judge Walras' analysis regarding the appropriate rate of interest payable on the bonds. Uh, my name is Benjamin Fader, and I'm here with my colleague, Kristen Elliott. I am special counsel, Kelly Dry and Warren. I've been doing bankruptcy and restructuring work for over 35 years, and I've been with Kelly Dry since 2008. And I'm Kristen Elliott, also a special counsel with the bankruptcy group here at Kelly Dry. I, too, have been doing bankruptcy work for an undisclosed number of years <laughs> uh, and have been with Kelly Dry since 2009. Uh, here at Kelly Dry, we focus on a number of areas within uh, bank- bankruptcy and restructuring, but one of the focal focuses of our practice is the representation of indentured trustees in large Chapter 11 cases. Among the cases we have worked on over the last few years that I have worked on personally include Energy Future Holdings, Windstream, Noble Energy, Valaris, and Basic Energy. And uh, Kristen has an interesting list herself. Yes, I've worked on um, some of more recent cases include Intelsat, uh, Hexion, iHeart, and Caesars. So I think between the two of us, we, we've encountered some of the more interesting issues that can come up in cases of that size with the type of debt instruments we're going to talk about today. And what we're going to talk about today is the Hertz Chapter 11 case. It's important for uh, our, our indentured trustee clients because it talks about uh, an, an important issue that's come up in a number of cases in the last few years uh, regarding the treatment of, uh, of the note holders who hold the claims under, under these indentures. Uh, Hertz is obviously a large and very visible Chapter 11 case involving an iconic American company and got a lot of attention for that reason. But we want to look at it because it's a good example of what can happen to distressed enterprise valuations during periods of high economic volatility, such as we're experiencing now. So Hertz filed for Chapter 11 uh, shortly after the start of the pandemic because uh, its business was significantly affected in a negative way by people no longer traveling or going out and abroad in the, in the manner that they had. But by the end of the Chapter 11 case, as we started returning to uh, more normal act- economic activity, it had recovered to the point where it was able to pay all of its creditors, including its note holders, in full and actually return value to shareholders. This is something I think we're likely to see as we head into the next wave, particularly with companies, for example, that are sensitive to energy costs, which we have been uh, on, on a roller coaster ride for the past uh, few months, obviously, and we expect that will continue. The issues that have arisen in Hertz, we think, are likely to come up again in other cases. And we want to talk about why we think that these are important to uh, indentured trustees and, 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 the, and the institutions and holders of these notes. Very briefly, the issues in Hertz 
were that uh, when the time came for Hertz to present its plan of reorganization to its creditors and seek approval from the court, uh, Hertz contended that its plan treated the holders of its unsecured bonds as unimpaired. They were, there were four series of unsecured bonds totaling over 2.7 billion. Unimpaired means that the plan leaves unaltered the legal, equitable, and contractual rights of the holder of a claim. The bondholders objected for two primary reasons. One, they claimed that they were due to be paid what is called a make-hold premium, which is a common type of payment required under bond indentures in the event that the issuer of the bonds chooses to redeem, which means to repay the bonds uh, ahead of the scheduled maturity date. There was also a question of whether interest was due on, on, the, on these bonds, and if so, the rate at which the interest would be paid. The bondholders claimed that being unimpaired meant that they would do the full interest under the contract rate under the indentures. Uh, Hertz contended that under the bankruptcy code, it only had to pay interest at the much lower federal judgment rate. Because this involved $2.7 billion um, in, in overall obligations, you can see how material these, these issues were. So what happened from a procedural standpoint in Hertz is that the bondholders uh, agreed to allow the plan confirmation to go forward, and after the and afterwards the parties litigated specifically over their entitlement to the make whole pre premium and the the rate of, of interest with respect to interest that accrued after following the petition date. Kristen, can we talk about how Judge Walrath approached this case, and what, and 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 specifically how she looked, you know, how she reviewed the in, both the indentures and the bankruptcy code to determine whether the bondholders were entitled to what they were claiming? Sure, I I think that you know on the two main issues the judge decided one whether the bondholders were entitled to a maypole claim and the other whether the bondholders were entitled to contract rate interest the the contract rate interest issue was a was primarily a statutory analysis whereas the maypole assessment was more heavily weighted to a kind of line by line contractual parsing of the relevant indentures with then a bankruptcy statutory overlay after that occurred. So with respect to the make whole claim, first the judge addressed whether the bonds that issued accelerated automatically upon the bankruptcy filing. Most bond indentures have an automatic acceleration of the interest and principal due on the notes upon a bankruptcy filing. And the judge analyzed whether that provision accelerated the notes such that the maturity, uh, the, the redemption of the notes in the bankruptcy case uh, was not premature uh, and therefore a, a right to an early redemption premium would not apply. Let's uh, just unpack that a little and see if we can bring it down to a, a bit, you know, bit more of a basic analysis. Essentially, I think the argument, what, the question 
that the, the, the judge was trying to decide is, was this a voluntary repayment of the bonds? Right. And the, the, the note holders claimed that Hertz voluntarily sought bankruptcy and therefore were required to pay. The Hertz was claiming that they filed for bankruptcy in order to save their business. And as a matter of law, under, under, under both the indentures and the bankruptcy code, they had no choice but to pay the bonds at that, at that time because they were accelerated as a matter of law. And they, were, and they said, therefore, the bonds payment was not voluntary and therefore they were excused from having to make the uh, make whole payment. And so you, let's look at how Judge Walrath address that argument. Sure. So Judge Walrath, you know, spoiler alert, determined that the redemption of the notes was voluntary uh, because the debtor elected to file for bankruptcy uh, and also in bankruptcy had options available to it to, for instance, reinstate the maturity date of the notes. And because the debtor had that optionality, uh, even though market forces pushed the debtor to seek relief under Chapter 11, the decision was voluntary and the decision to redeem the notes early likewise was voluntary. So the Hertz was cited to a case within the Second Circuit called the MPM Silicones case in which that argument had been accepted by the courts. Um, but the bankruptcy court in Delaware is governed by Third Circuit law, and there was a contrary decision in the Third Circuit in the EFH Energy case. Um, and Judge Walrath felt she was bound by that case and did not see any basis to distinguish it uh, and find that this was a that this was not a voluntary payment by the uh, by the by the company, and therefore. At least on that basis, she found that the payment of the make whole premium would be due. But uh, Kristen Hertz had other arguments that they were able to put forward as to why the make whole payment uh, should not have been paid. They sure did. Um, they also looked and, and, and pointed to language in the indenture um, that indicated that the redemption payment itself would only be would be due in advance of a maturity. Uh, and argued about whether that was the stated maturity date or an earlier maturity, such as through the automatic acceleration of the notes uh, by virtue of the bankruptcy filing. And the two in, there were two indentures at issue with respect to this particular point, and they had slightly different language. The, the, the judge made you know, a very careful an, a, a analysis under the, the contracts and determined that because the language didn't specify uh, the stated maturity date um, as the date before which a redemption period uh, premium would be due, that other instances, such as the acceleration of the notes on bankruptcy, could be deemed the maturity date and therefore invalidate, for lack of a better word, the make-whole claim. In other words, the make-whole would have been due if it was paid prior to maturity. 
But because of the bankrupt, the bankruptcy filing accelerated the bonds and made them do automatically. Judge Walrath said that with respect to those two series of indentures, they were effectively paid after maturity and they're therefore negating the obligation to pay the make whole. Yes, but on the very specific language in the indenture, right. not as a matter of law that any bankruptcy acceleration Absolutely. would right. deprive a creditor of its right to a make whole. And the judge then went and did the same careful analysis under the redemption provision in a different indenture and reached the other a, a different result. So she actually said that because of this very slight difference in the language between to, you know, the, the, the different series of the indentures, that under two of these series, no make-whole premium was due, but that the bondholders could act, could still pursue their claim under the other two series. So this yes. shows how carefully judges are going to be at analyzing these contractual provisions and how very slight variations in the wording can have a very material impact on the, the rights of the note holders. Yes, it is a, a very clear example of the most careful contractual analysis you learn it, you see in the law school class. And to you know, to sum it up, you know, in a hashtag, it would be hashtag words matter. Hashtag hair splitting. Right. <laughs> or that. But yeah. In this case, it involved hundreds of millions of dollars in potential payment. So I think this will be a lesson learned going forward for the uh, lawyers who represent underwriters who negotiate these provisions. And I think that th this opinion will be relied upon in terms of how these uh, indentures get drafted uh, in the future. Both with respect to acceleration and when maturity occurs and when redemptions occur, but also I think to the, another issue we're going to discuss, which is what is a make whole and what does it mean? Well, I think that uh, the, the next issue that was focused on by Judge Walrath, well, turning to the next argument that was presented by Hertz as to why no make whole agreement, why no make whole premium should be paid was that turning to arguments under the bankruptcy code, they held that, Hertz argued that uh, the remaining make-whole premium claims uh, that survived the maturity argument should be disallowed under the bankruptcy code because the, there's a provision in the bankruptcy code that expressly disallows claims for uh, unmatured interest. Uh, can you, you, will you talk about that for a second, please? Sure. So as, as you just mentioned, Ben, the, the, the bankruptcy code provides with respect to an unsecured or an undersecured creditor um, that that creditor, by and large, doesn't have a claim for unmatured interest, which is interest that would have accrued on a debt, you know, but for the, the you know, after the petition date. And so there has been a fair amount of back and forth within the courts about whether a redemption premium or a make-whole premium is the functional equivalent of a claim for unmatured interest. And you see in the indentures that oftentimes the formulas by which these claims are calculated can appear to be driven by discounted, you know, uh, future interest streams discounted to present value. Um, there has been a split in the courts. 
uh, as to whether a make-whole claim is the functional equivalent of unmatured interest and is disallowed under 502B for for undersecured and unsecured bonds, uh, or whether it is something else, whether it's a payment um, or compensation for market uncertainty during the time that the money is tied up through this this investment. In other words, uh, the bondholders are saying this is simply a standard liquidated damages provision that is routinely allowed as a matter of contract law as long as certain criteria are satisfied. They said it was intended to compensate them for un- the uncertainty and potential losses incurred in reinvesting uh, the money uh, under different market conditions. And they were able to point to a recent decision uh, in the Southern District of Texas where another judge uh, under similar circumstances ruled that the make whole premium did not constitute future unpaid interest. Um, and that, and that premium was allowed. Um, how did Judge uh, Walrath respond to that argument? She did not find that persuasive, particularly as a matter of law. She determined or she, she, she framed the issue more as a matter of fact uh, and held that, you know, a, a make whole provision, uh, if, if the party looking to enforce it could demonstrate factually that it was intended to compensate for market uncertainty or something other than unmatured interest, they might be able to sustain a claim. And so in this instance, she she basically held that because this was being decided on a, on a motion to dismiss, which is a ruling on whether as a matter of law, the note holders had a claim, she said, this is a factual issue, and she was not going to rule on it as a matter of law, and that she would pre- allow the note holders to present evidence at a future evidentiary hearing to try and you know, sustain their argument that, uh, that this was not, uh, the make whole premium was not on matured interest, but was in fact a permissible liquidated damages provision. Right. So she kicked the can down the road on that one. Uh, perhaps another way of saying to the parties, uh, settle this. You've been listening to part one of Driving Well and Impaired. Anyone interested in more information regarding bondholders' rights to payment of a make-whole premium may contact Ben at bfader at kellydry.com. That's B-F-E-D-E-R at kellydry.com. Or Kristen at Elliot at kellydry.com. That's K-E-L-L-I-O-T-T at kellydry.com. In part two of this podcast, Ben and Kristen will discuss how Judge Walrath weighed the claims of the bondholders for interest that accrued after the commencement of the bankruptcy case. Thank you for listening.